Welcome to Ashland New Plays Festival Play for Keeps conversation series, where theater artists share stories, news, and insights into their work. Now let's meet today's guests. Hey, this is, uh, I'm Indra Craig Galvan, I'm a playwright. I am uh, calling in from the, the stolen traditional territory of the Chumash people, colonially known as Simi Valley, California. Uh, also where the, the trial was held for the officers that beat Rodney King. It's just a great place to live. Um, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I'm Kyle Hayden. He am his. Uh, I'm calling in from the ancestral lands, lands of the Osage, um, commonly known today as Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, uh, Inda and I are working together on a piece for the Ashland New Plays Festival. So it's good to see you. Good to see you. We can uh, actually see each other. I know. Oh. It's great. You can't see us, y'all, but we can see each other. So yeah, yes. we'll feel that energy, I think, during this conversation. Or maybe you'll see us. I don't know. May, who knows? The Think world is hard. Better. Yeah. Use your imagination and we'll be there. Also, I use she, her, hers pronouns. That's what theater's for, imagination. So. Or, yeah, right. <laughs> Let's look at us. Let's tell the people what we're doing. Uh, what is the play's title and synopsis that you've written that we'll be working on? The play is titled Birth. Breach, breach, birth, with a slash in there in the middle. Uh, it's about a African American uh, big animal vet in a rural black community, farming community in Illinois, and she, in the course of doing a uh, ultrasound on a mare in foal sees in the ultrasound image a ship that was used to transport enslaved Africans. It's that image that we saw in our our textbooks forever mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that may not be in textbooks now, who knows. Uh, and one of those enslaved men sees her as well. And she has to figure out, is she imagining this? Is she losing her mind is she uh is it real how does she get them out mm. what happens after she does get them out uh and really it's a play about grieving and uh remembering the people that were here before us and it's awesome Aww. <laughs> i you know when i when i was reading the if you if you read the script friends you you see the image of the ship and so you're reading and you know what's happening what's going on and then boom it hits you like a freight train and it was it's one of the reasons i do theater you know for moments like that and thinking about how we you know can build this play to realize a moment like that is is just super great so i was i was in at that moment i was like oh yeah oh yeah i want to i want to work on this ah sure. yeah Aww. so what what made this come up for you what inspired you to write this um, I was reading a book of poetry um, back when I was in grad school. One of my professors, shout out Dr. Felina Hasu Houston, yes, uh, yeah, uh, has a class on adaptation. And every semester that she teaches this class, there's a different form of adaptation. So sometimes you are going to museums and looking at paintings and adapting those to theater. Or you, the semester I was in, we were reading poetry, and not to write a full play, but to 
sort of compile a list. I think our, our assignment was like a list of 10 over the course of the semester plays that we could see in our head inspired by these pieces of poetry and what that story might be. And so then years later, when I was like, I need to write something, what do I have in my notebooks? Uh, I found that poem again and what I had said about it and what it meant to um, look at birth and death and and animal pregnancy and, and naming and owning. And it all, and my daughter was studying animal sciences in uh, undergrad. She's uh, training to become a veterinarian now. And it all just kind of clicked in my head that there's some connection to this, this ship and the pregnancy of what it means for, for us and what it has brought and what, what we live with and the people who work the earth and people that take care of God's creatures and how we treat animals because they're big and they're meant for work and they're meant for food mm-hmm. as opposed to things that we care about because they're cute and fluffy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started writing and I'm a huge fan of fantasy stories of those all start with someone having an accident or a death or a bump on the head. And then you realize they're going on this journey that might not really be happening. It might still be all in their head. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to give this black woman that, uh, this, this journey that began begins as a, a, a weird thing in a barn and turns into a bit of an adventure for her. And Mm -hmm. a big part of her adventure is looking inside of herself and figuring out what she still needs to deal with. Yeah. And I would imagine I've, never been pregnant though my wife has but i would imagine too that like at, at that time in life she's you know seven months pregnant that that is kind of a right yes. time for that that kind of introspection right yeah i forgot to mention the, the veterinarian is also pregnant herself yeah um yes so i have been pregnant and <laughs> <laughs> uh got a couple of kids um but yeah you absolutely besides worrying about the world and what's out there, you, I at least had the experience of like knowing that your whole life is going to change and you have an entire person inside of you and you're carrying that around and you're going to carry that person around in a way for the rest of their life and yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a amazing world. And, um, you know, all these different elements that I feel like we don't explore as much in theater. I mean, just talking about black farmers, right? Right. You know, it, it, I feel like it's something we never, never discuss or never talk about, right? But so many of our people did that for for so long, you know. And yet, that's, you know, exactly. just not talked about. I, I I can't remember seeing stories about that, you know. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I remember. Fun fact: years ago, maybe like twenty years ago there was a study that sort of declared that this one area of Illinois was the poorest community in the country. Mm. Um, and Oprah did an episode about it and it was an all black community. And my father ended up buying a house in that community and living there. Oh, wow. And I would go there a lot 
and meet all the people that, you know, everybody knew him. Everybody, everybody knew him. He's quite popular. Um, he was the person you came to for anything and he would help with everything, help you build, whatever. Yeah. These people weren't destitute. These people were not, these people all own houses. <laughs> these people yeah. had, you, you, oh, there'd be horses walking down the street. There would be people farming in their yard, in their backyards. They had property. And the way that our country looks at, I, I think it was just, there weren't stores, a lot of stores. There weren't a lot of bank. There was no bank, actually. There was no bank. And I think that's how they sort of made the determination that this was a, the poorest place because there mm-hmm. was no banking. Mm-hmm. But you could drive to Kankakee. Like, it wasn't Yeah. the way that the small Black community of people who knew each other and took care of each other and who would send plates over and who would <laughs> got labeled was astounding to me. And there are so many pockets of this country with really specific communities that we don't see in plays or television or film. Mm-hmm. And then we learn about them and there's this wave of universality that happens. It's like, oh, wow, they're just like mm-hmm. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the flip side of, you know, Us Magazine stars. They're just like us. <laughs> uh, they go to the grocery store, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh, look, these people, they eat food. It's like, of course they eat food. <laughs> on. You know, wild. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, you know, I don't know. I just am always astounded at the surprise of the variance in the black experience in this country. (laughs) You know, that people are, oh, wow. Oh, black people farm. Yes, black people farm. We do everything. (laughs) Our America, we do everything that other Americans do, you know. So um, the opportunity to like share share varied stories i mean it's part of the reason why i do theater right and i think when we start to look at these different angles on stories it does become that universality right which is the thing that brings people together eventually it is the like you know i laugh at the us stars they're just like us but like (laughs) it is it is really comforting to know that like you know just like buys groceries like i buy groceries too all right maybe just i could talk about the price of eggs at some point you know i don't know probably not Hilarious. You mentioned the the impact you felt when you saw the image of the ship. Um, just curious, Kyle, uh, what else drew you to this piece? Like, that's it. It was just that picture. It wasn't even it's, words. That's it. That was just, that was just, <laughs> uh, no, I think um, I, I really love the characters in this, you know, um, uh, the um, Deborah, the the farmer who uh, owns the mayor, uh, and Marcus, and like the relationship between Marcus and Ashanti, those main characters. I just am really tired of uh, watching couples fight. Right? There's like a brand mm. of sitcom. There's a particular network that really traffics in this too. I don't want to name names, but like you know, the kind of wife and husband making fun of each other, sniping each other. And it's great to see people that are in love that clearly love each other that are trying to work through something. So the kind of reality and specificity of that relationship like it is these two intelligent black folks who love each other and are making it work right seeing like deborah's like crankiness but her like <laughs> kind of like well-roundedness so like the kind of depth of character there and and the specificity of those people you know wanting a chance to experiment with them dig into them find out more about them for me was really was really exciting i just love working with characters and helping folks develop characters 
to figure yeah. out what happens to them. You know, yeah. it's, it's exciting. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, that would yeah. be great. So yeah. you, you're we're gonna have this workshop coming up. So like, you know, what are what are you? What's gonna happen? What are you What are you looking forward to in it to kind of embarking on the journey in this play? We'll have a week before we share it with folks. I know. I am honestly most excited about working with actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote this this first draft of the play in a writing workshop, and so we bring in pages and we would read them, uh, and playwrights would read them, and nobody in the room besides me looked like the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was beautiful people, wonderful people, but hearing it read by actors who are are demographically <laughs> matching <laughs> the characters is so helpful. Um, and we have such dope actors. It's ridiculous. It's, I'm a little in awe of this cast. Um, and and having someone I was, I really wanted the character you mentioned, the cranky Deborah <laughs> modeled after a friend my mother had when I was growing up, who I was like, she's so mean. But looking back on this woman's actions, she was, she would give us a ride somewhere. She would bring money. She would comfort my mom. She would, mm-hmm. you know, when she was going through stuff, she was always there for our family that's just the way she spoke. She was kind of gruff. Um, so that's who Deborah's modeled after. And she's Jamaican American and, or Jamaican and living in America. And it was super important to me to include different parts of, to represent different parts of the, dia- the diaspora and, and not show, you know, the monolithic black person mm-hmm. and what their different experiences are to our history. Um so we're just getting a chance to work with actors who have all these backgrounds and all these uh, skills. It's mm-hmm. like mad skills. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and hearing feedback because from people who don't know me personally, um, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes we get in a, a playwriting group or a workshop or, a, or we just read with our friends all the time. And, and it's people who know you and know your tricks and might not call you out on some stuff. um not not that this group did they were great Um, again amazing group uh you gotta mix it up sometimes but yes yes um and i've just so admired all of their work and yeah yeah it's a great it's a great group uh and so you you've never heard it read by actors no no. uh it's gonna be so exciting yeah even the first read is gonna be like Okay, well, okay. Some of the writers in that workshop group were actors, <laughs> but I've Respect. never heard it read by black actors. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who were who were there just to to support the work as actors do? Um, so yes, I am excited, excited to dig in and really figure out what the heck is happening in this play. Um, and are you gonna are you gonna write during the week? I mean, how what's that process look for mm-hmm. you when you're in a in a in a workshop like this what do you take us behind the scenes a little bit what do you how do you like to do this i just want to hear it initially hear thoughts get feedback like what are you hearing what are you where do you think this is going what questions do you still have um that's particularly helpful to me what questions do the people experiencing this play have 
rather than telling me, I don't understand this. Just, just ask me a question and then I'll know you don't understand it. And then I won't feel like I failed. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, off the bat that hearing what, what is working for people. And then at, at night or in the day, uh, working on those sections and here, figuring out what I can change and, and morph and coming in with new scenes the next day and fresh pages the next day and mm-hmm. deletions and uh, ideas. And the what, best part about working with these actors, you could hear it immediately. Yes. And see if, if that brilliant idea you had at 3 a.m. was just a fever dream or a beautiful <laughs> fever dream that, that, that does work. Um, and, and just continue to do that until there's, I feel like I have a thing that, that we can share with people. Yeah. I mean, we got to share it regardless, but <laughs> 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 what is your approach? Cause now that we're doing this virtually to typically, you know, Ashlyn is, is, is in live and in person. What's your approach now for doing yeah. this virtually? You know, I think what's really great is that this level of workshop when we're really focusing on the words and the story and trying to make it better. Not a lot changes, you know, there is something great about being the alchemy of being around a table together and be able to like pat somebody in the back or look at them like that. I miss that, you know, but the real act, the thing we're doing is very much the same, I think. Uh, And for me, you know, it's just asking a lot of questions. It's coming in and trying to puzzle out and figure out the world, the entire world where this is happening. So, you know, me asking questions about the relationship, about things that people are doing or how people might attack things or whatever. Um, I just ask hundreds of questions. <laughs> That's kind of my my goal as a director um, to kind of make the thing more of what it is, you know? So it's almost like something, it's like a fossil, right? It's buried in the ground. My kid's into dinosaurs, so I think about this, right? But, you know, they take the little brushes and they're, kind of sweeping around it to like find out what the thing is to excavate it and, you know, hopefully put it in the museum so everybody can see it. So I'm at, you know, I'm the archeologist or the chief archeologist here. It just trying to like sweep away the thing, you know? So um, that's kind of, that's kind of my role. I guess I'm cruise director too, just, you know, <laughs> keeping everybody <laughs> positive, focused and, you know, uh, uh, making sure we're all moving in the same direction. Yeah. But it's so much fun. It's so much fun to be, part of these processes with playwrights. And I'm always very honored that people, you know, want me to be in the room, you know, to ask a bunch of annoying questions. <laughs> please ask me questions, please. <laughs> Help me figure this out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this is, a, I feel like, a question that you have to ask everybody, everything, everything, with any time now. But, you know, we are, if you haven't noticed, in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm Wait, wondering, what? yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't know. <laughs> it's real bad out there. Um, how has that affected your process? Has it, has it, does it, you know, factor into your stories? Is it showing up in your stories in any way, shape or form? I know you're not writing pandemic plays. I hope you're not writing pandemic plays, but how is that reflected in your work? And sir, I have retired from writing pandemic plays. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I need theater companies, anybody who's listening to stop asking, stop asking us. Hard pass. 
to write real quick, fast, five to 10 minute pieces exploiting our trauma right now. No, please don't. Of any sort. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a black woman. Don't ask me to exploit my trauma for a five minute uh, play festival. Uh, so yes, uh, in more positive ways. Um, <laughs> I have managed somehow through the grace of God to stay productive um, because my day job is writing. And so I'm used to cranking out work and I've, um, I think ever since grad school, I went to grad school late in life. Um, I was in grad school when my daughter was in starting undergrad and not the same school, thank goodness, because I couldn't have been her TA. <laughs> but I got into um, just the habit of doing lots of work at the same time, having lots of projects due at the same time. Uh, and that is something that I've just kind of kept up, mm-hmm. um, a habit that I've kept up that's a, a good habit. Um, my potato chip eating habit during, I can't even blame out on COVID. I just like mm-hmm. ch- chips when I write. Chips are um, beautiful. Don't, don't <gasps> apologize for that. Potato chips are a life. <laughs> oh I had gosh. half a bag yesterday. I, I'm, I'm not... There is something about the crunch when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. So good. Anyway. Um, what I mean about us not being in person, because I would have every rehearsal. <laughs> I would have a bowl of chips there for us. I'm just going to eat chips while we do this. I'm just going to, you know, you know oh, tell man. the actors to come with a bag of chips for themselves. So and, uh, anyway. You're going to be like, Inda, can you turn off your, your mic? Because... <laughs> Thank you for encouraging my, my chip habit. Um, so yeah, I've been able to continue to be productive. I did have a period during the pandemic where I spent probably like three weeks where I was like, nope, I'm not doing anything. And I had a mm. cookie. I developed a different habit of cookies and gin for breakfast in bed. <laughs> And then realized, okay, let me, and then I had a deadline and I was like, all right, well, let me, let me uh, go ahead and push on because me being in this bed, eating cookies and gin is not going to change science or help anyone or continue to create art. It's not going to do anything. Um, I did write a a short play though about a woman who was eating, well, it started, it's not about it, started with a woman eating gin and cookies and breakfast and in bed and it ended up being one of my favorite short plays that I've. Written. That's that's great. I love that. Uh, but yeah, I've been able to to push through it because um, I got deadlines, yo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got a mortgage now. <laughs> it's real talk. <laughs> art, art is work, and work is art. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But I've tried not to to write. Um, there is one play that that I have that's about a woman with agoraphobia that just kind of made sense to include in the rewrite, a little hint of, of the fact that, but wait, are you staying in because there's a virus or are you just staying in? Um, but otherwise I, I tend to write so much magical realism and sort of fantasy stuff anyway, that it doesn't, I I can set it in a world that (laughs) that COVID doesn't exist. Um, which is kind of great to take you and us out of it. Right. You know, yeah, it's nice to be able to be transported somewhere I've you know I was resistant to a lot of online theater at the beginning but it's nice to be able to you know go somewhere else mentally instead of my couch 
where yes. I am all the time. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but a big and a big part of my process is making just a space, physical space for myself that's that feels good. Mm-hmm. So I wish yep. you could all be in my office right now. I know. Take a virtual tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to feel safe and, and, and caressed by good smells and good sights. And, and so, yeah. Cozy. It's cozy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should ask you the question that um, uh, we should, we're, we, we should both ask this question to each other. You should ask it to me. I'll ask it to you. Not because I have a great answer in mind. I'm just really curious what I'm going to say. Um, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, um, you don't have to limit it to theater if you don't want to. It was actually at in theater and sketch comedy theater in Second City in Chicago. And uh, oh, God, I just blanked on her last <laughs> and Libra. <laughs> uh, I was I started everything late in life. Apparently, I started doing sketch comedy when I was like 30, um, studying, training there. And I was like all these children running around me doing in their twenties and and late teens. And how do I do this? And how do I, they're all taking, working over their second city and their IO and their annoyance and they're doing this and that and the other. And I, I, I I got kids at home. How do I navigate this career and continue to grow in this and do this? Cause I really enjoyed writing and performing sketch comedy. And she said, you don't, there's no, there's no rule. Mm. You have to do, what works for you and your, your, your household, your life. You do not have to break your neck trying to take everybody's classes and working here and there. And you have to do what works for you. Yeah. And that was the best uh, advice uh, for me. That's great. Yeah. And what about you? Best advice Uh, ever? Uh, it's probably my grandmother. When I was in my sophomore year of college, I was looking at studying abroad. I got into this program to go to London. I wasn't sure I wanted to go. Um, like the timing was kind of off and all my friends were going to be gone after. I was going to miss people for like a year and a half. And so I to my grandma. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go. I mean, you know, how am I going to get my hair cut in London? And she was like, there's black people everywhere. Get your hair cut in London. But then she was like, don't let, don't let, don't let people. I thought that was the advice. No, it wasn't the advice. It was the precursor to the advice. I mean, that is also good advice. But the precursor was basically like, don't let people tell you where you can or can't go or what you can or can't do. You do what you want to do, you know? And, um, you know, I think kind of like where I was in life, I, I was putting limitations on myself or allowing people to put limitations on me for various and sundry reasons. And, you know, for me, it was about it was about very much like I need to figure out my own path. What are the things that I'm interested in? What are the things that I'm passionate about? I'm just going to try to to do those things. So I feel very strongly that, you know, making art is a choice. You're not forced into it because you can't do anything else. Like now I can do a lot of other things, but I love telling stories. And so for me, this is what I want to do. I want to help people tell stories. I want to tell stories myself. I want to train people to be able to tell stories. So I choose to do that. And I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that it's worked out. Um, but it's a choice. So so that's grandma. I appreciate I appreciate her for pointing me in that direction. That's so. great. 
That's yeah. great. Is she yeah. still with us? She's not, unfortunately, but my son is named after her. So, Aww. so she, and he has a lot of her mannerisms. <laughs> so oh, wow. Yeah. So it's funny how that happens, right? You know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did you so. go to London? I didn't, uh, I didn't go. Um, I stayed. I mean, actually, it was the best thing for me because I ended up doing a Shakespeare play my junior year, Much Ado About Nothing, with Dennis Krausnick from Shakespeare and Company, who also passed away a, a year or two ago. But Dennis was the first person who told me I could be a professional actor who was like, you could have a career in this, you know? And I was like, oh, oh, yee! <laughs> you know? So that was, that kind of started the trajectory. So, and that, if I go to London, that doesn't happen. I don't have that experience with him. So, you know, right. I got to go to right. a couple of years later, you know, have some Guinness, see some museums, whatever. But it was still there. It's, it's still it's still there. Maybe I'll, London maybe ain't I'll, going nowhere. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll go when the virus lifts. You know, who knows? Yeah. So, get a haircut. All right. Saturday. Next Saturday. Very excited. <laughs> oh, there you go. Or you could go to London, get a haircut and then just come right back. <laughs> I am not I am not rocking that kind of money. But, <laughs> I mean, I know the airlines are struggling. Maybe fares are lower, but yeah. so uh, call call Leo because he's just like us and yeah, just, like just like us. You know, <laughs> you, out. Come on, right. you borrowed a jet. Well, let me tell the people: uh, Saturday and Sunday, April twenty fourth and twenty fifth, we're having two live Zoom readings of uh, Birth Breach Breach Birth. Um, tickets are available at ashlandnewplays.org. Uh, check out the Ashland New Plays Festival, all your social media handles, obviously a company near dear to my heart that I've been affiliated with for a long time. Um, so I hope people will, will show up and show out as much as you can on Zoom. So, yes, uh, yes. But uh, I'm so, uh, so excited and honored to be embarking on this with you and, uh, and I'm excited for, for this to be unleashed upon the people. Ah, yes. I am. Thank you so much, Kyle. I'm super excited to be working with you and to dig in. And I know you're going to give me some notes after we end this. So I'm going to just light a candle. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get some chips and we'll do it. We'll get some chips and you'll ask me some questions. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. Take care. We'll talk soon. Yay. See you. Peace. This has been a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. Our podcast is produced by Andy Neal and Kara Quinn-Lewis, with written content edited by Carol Florian. To learn more about AMPF and how you can support new plays, visit us at ashlandnewplays.org on the web or at ashlandnewplays on social media. If you like what you heard, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.